Hello, women of strength. We have an amazing episode for you today, but first I want to talk just a little bit about postpartum depression. Studies show that one in seven new mamas will develop postpartum depression. It's scary in a topic that doesn't really get discussed about a lot. So before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit about our podcast sponsor and partner, Happiest Baby. As you guys know from listening to the VBAC link, this podcast means so much to me. I love every single one of you. I know that's hard to believe because I don't personally know every single one of you, but it is true. I love this community so much. And it means so much to me that Dr. Harvey Karp and his company, Happiest Baby, are such big supporters of VBAC and are supporting our mission. One of their biggest products that people may know or have heard of is called the Snoo. The Snoo is an amazing baby bed that can truly help many mamas out there during their postpartum journey, especially if you were like me and have a husband or a partner that has to go right back to work and are left with these amazing, cute, snuggly babies, but also exhausted. Whether you've had a C-section or a vaginal birth for those few days, and let's be honest, probably months, you're just exhausted. I was in pure survival mode. So many people refer to this new as the mama helper, who's there to help soothe your baby so you can just get a few more hours of sleep. They even have a rental program, which I think is pretty awesome, so you don't actually have to buy the bassinet. As I started learning more about Dr. Carp and his mission, I just love learning that he is so passionate about reducing postpartum depression in parents. They even got FDA approval, which I believe is the only bassinet or baby bed that has been FDA approved. It's also been known for reducing SIDS in babies as well. I asked our community for their reviews of Snoo, and I was overwhelmed by the positive responses. I just wanted to say thank you to Dr. Carp for creating the Snoo and helping millions of mamas sleep for just a few more hours at night so we can continue bonding with our babies and having a better postpartum experience. Thank you, happiest baby. Hello, it is the VBAC link. My name is Megan and we have another VBAC story for you today. And in in addition to the VBAC story, we're going to be talking about post dates. This is, I would say, a really hot topic, especially in the VBAC world because we have a lot of people being, I don't want to say forced necessarily, but like pressed to induce their labor. And I think after the ARRIVE trial came out, it's become even more pressing to have a baby by 39 weeks. And I feel like the way we view that, you know, the due dates, the new due dates is like 40 weeks is 41, 39 is 40, you know, 38 is 39. I feel like in a lot of areas in the world, that's kind of how our mental state has shifted. And we don't really hear 41 weeks, 42 weeks as much anymore. And today we have Sydney and guess what you guys, she had a 42 week, five day, right? Is that right? Sydney Mm -hmm. with your first Mm -hmm. and then 42 weeks, three days with the second. And so you are one of those mamas that carry further along Mm -hmm. um, than a lot of people. And um, we're going to actually make sure to have it here in the show notes, but Birthful podcast. I don't know if you guys listen to Birthful podcast, but I personally love it. Um, I'm not even 
expecting anymore, right? Done having kids, but I still love listening to that podcast because the guests she has on there, they're just filled with information. And I want to say that guest she had, her name was Gail, I want to say, don't quote me on that, but she has an episode all about due dates and talking about how the body carries. So we are going to get some more into that at the end. Um, But of course we have a review of the week and then we will have Sydney share her VBAC story with you. This review is by Rachel Matt, sorry, Rachel made music says such a gem of a show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Julie and Megan for creating the supportive and empowering space for mamas like me to learn and prepare for our VBACs. I'm currently 33 weeks pregnant and preparing for my own VBAC. I can't begin to express just how thankful I am to have found this podcast. I am truly grateful for this resource and for all of the mamas who come onto this story or to the show and share their stories. There is such an incredible strength and collective wisdom to be found here. And I highly recommend this podcast to anyone preparing for VBAC or not. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel Made Music. I would agree. This this podcast is such a great platform for first, second time, third time moms, fourth time moms, and not even just VBAC moms, right? Because there's so much information that is shared on this podcast that talks about how to avoid a cesarean. When we have a cesarean rate in the US um, for, oh, it's almost 32%. I mean, that's pretty stinking high, especially when it used to be like 5% way back in the day. And although our VBAC rates are also going up, cesarean rates have just skyrocketed. And so if we can learn how to avoid an unnecessary cesarean or undesired, which a lot of us have undesired and unplanned or maybe unnecessary cesarean, you know, we can start lowering that. And and I think it could be su- super impactful to a lot of the world because, you know, here at this story, we hear these first time uh, cesareans or second time cesareans, and they don't always they don't always resonate with positivity. And that is hard because we want our birth experiences to be positive. So yeah, I I think that it's it's super important that, you know, anybody listens to all these birth stories. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hi guys, Megan here. I'm not sure if you knew, but I'm a vaginal birth after two cesarean mama myself. Preparing for my VBAC was tough due to the lack of evidence-based info back then, along with where to find it. Which is why I, along with Julie, created this podcast and our signature course, How to VBAC. The course is self-paced so you can watch it whenever your kiddos are sleeping or even at school. It's filled with evidence-backed data, tips and advice to help you go after the birth you want and achieve your VBAC. You can find the link to the course in the show notes today or type in the browser thevbacklink.com slash vbac-class.
Okay. Welcome to the show, Sydney. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to be here with us and share these stories. And you, you're in, are you in Virginia? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Virginia. Virginia. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. We, we always, we're going to start trying to say where people are because a lot of the times we'll get messages and say like, Oh my gosh, like I'm in the same area. Is there any way I can get like the providers or, mm-hmm, you know? Right. And so <clears throat> it's kind of fun to be like, oh, I'm in Virginia. Like I want to listen to this too because I want to be back and I want to learn who, you know, is supportive or, right. you know, who's maybe not supportive. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Okay. Well, I would love to just hear your story and share this with all of you um, women of strength listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks. Yes. I'm Sydney. I was, I'll just jump into my first birth story. So I uh, was pregnant actually during the pandemic. My due date was August 8th, 2020. Okay. So in the thick I, of it, really. <laughs> yes. Like right in the midst of it. Yeah. And we were planning to birth with our birth center here locally. I actually was living in Tennessee when I got pregnant and then moved about halfway through and started prenatal care with a, a birth center here. So I was planning for a natural birth. And just sort of like assumed everything would be fine. Like women have been giving birth forever. I come from a, you know, lot of strong women, like having a lot of babies. And so I just did not even think like, I just anything assumed it would it. be fine. You yeah. Know? You didn't yeah. think anything of Yeah. It. This is yeah. just what people do, you know? Yeah. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be fine. <laughs> and so, yeah, everything was pretty normal with the pregnancy. Got to 40 weeks and had no signs of labor. Was not really worried about it at that point. Then I started getting like to the end of 41 weeks and I was like, hmm, huh, what do I do now? (laughs) And the midwives were really helpful and gave me, you know, of course, all the things to try. And I tried all the things. I was going to the chiropractor multiple times. I tried acupuncture. I was drinking the tea, um, you know, pumping, you know, doing all the things that they told Mm -hmm. me I should do to try and get labor going and just was not having much luck. And so finally we decided, okay. I was, I was going to be 42 weeks on a Saturday. And so we thought we'll do, I'll try the big guns, castor oil mm-hmm. <laughs> on Saturday. And there's something happened with the midwife. She wasn't ready for me to do it on Saturday. So we had to wait until oh. Monday, which was 42 and two. And so I took it first thing Monday morning, like six or 7 AM and could not keep it down. Just threw it up. So I had to do it again. It was just horrible. I hated it. I was did like, you, I'm never doing this again. Did you drink that straight? Did they have you like mix they, it in a concoction? They had me do a milkshake of vanilla okay. ice cream and peanut butter and castor oil. Uh, yeah, that's so, actually similar to what I drink. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. with my it second. It was still, it's I thought gross. it was so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I, I did it a second time and the casserole did its job. It sort of like got some contractions going, but mm-hmm. I really had to like walk. I was walking a lot to just keep mm-hmm. them doing, them. you know, anything. Mm-hmm. And that sort of continued through Tuesday. I was having just mild contractions on and off. And then by Wednesday morning, which was, see, that would be 42 and four, they were strong and consistent. And the midwives are like, okay, I think you're ready to come in and let's, you know, get things going. Yeah, And I remember they had to meet us at the birth center. It was like 730 in the morning. I got there and apparently another mom had beat me there. Like she was also in labor. So as soon as I walked in, I'm a first time pregnant mom. She is pushing her baby out and screaming like, and it was Ah. the most terrifying thing I ever heard. 
And I think literally, I think my cervix just like closed up. And I was like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I literally didn't have contractions for like a couple hours after that. It all stopped. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate. And that so can the happen. Mid- that can really yeah. happen. Though. I. D- yeah. It doesn't even matter. Like maybe nothing significant, like a woman screaming in labor, you know, it doesn't have to seem significant, right? It can be just a shifting from the car to the hospital yes. or the, mm-hmm. ho- to your home to the car or right from downstairs to upstairs like something mm-hmm. off can just kind of like you know I don't want to say stall yep. you out but like kind of calm things down it did. and yeah. it's your body just responding and needing a break yeah yeah and that's really what happened so the midwives worked with me all day we were doing mile circuits I remember it's August so it's like scorching outside they had me like climbing hills and stairs and curb walking Uh, They made my husband stay inside and take a nap because he was exhausted. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, you know, they were just, I was doing all the things, pumping every half an hour. They were giving me tinctures every 30 minutes. And it's still by like five o'clock. I think I was maybe three centimeters, Mm -hmm. but contractions were not picking up and they weren't strong enough. And we were both exhausted. And so the midwives were like, all right, I think the best plan is for you to go home, drink a glass of wine and take some Tylenol PM. Let's get these mild contractions to stop so you can relax. And then you probably need to go be induced in the morning. Cause at mm. this point, you know, we were 42 and four and Past I was starting to plus. get uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. yeah. So, and I was just exhausted. They were like, it probably would be beneficial for you at this point to be induced and have an epidural. So you can just rest and relax and let your body do what it needs to do. So that was sort of our plan. And so we went home and did that. It worked for a couple hours, but the contractions actually really picked up overnight. So by the morning, by like 4.30, I was like, we need to go. I can't do this anymore. Like, I think we did the wine and Tylenol PM again later in the night and it just was not working. So at this point it was like, okay, we're ready to go. So we ended up going to the hospital. And um, by the time I got there, they were like, you do not need to be induced. You're already in active labor. I was like, okay, great. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. So we labored for a while, decided probably later that morning to try for an epidural so I could just get some rest because we were so tired. As soon as I got into position for the epidural, the baby's heart rate decelerated. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, a panic. There was a ton of people in the room. They were doing oxygen. They wanted to check the baby's position to see maybe if the baby had dropped or something, but the baby stabilized almost immediately. And they said I was at an eight and I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. Forget the epidural. Let's just do it. And, um, so continued to labor for a couple hours and they checked me again. This is probably like 11 o'clock. And they said I was at a four (laughs) and I was like, huh, what? (laughs) So I don't know if the first person got it wrong. I I have no idea what happened, but I was in a different position when they checked me and you know, it was a whole thing. It's happened. I've been to births where that's happened where they're like, they're like, oh, you're nine centimeters, like getting the card out, like getting mm-hmm. like, you know, ready for the provider to come in. And then mm-hmm. the provider comes in, they're like, she's five centimeters. And then we're like, wait, what? Like, you know, um, so and the one provider explained to me and the team that like um sometimes if we had a really, really, really stretchy cervix, like really favorable, um, mm-hmm. especially during a contraction or, or certain positions, it can mm-hmm. feel it can feel thinner than it is or you right. feel like it's reduced more than it is. And then they change that. And then, you know, or a different person checks mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. So it happens, but yeah. man, that's a frustrating. Super I was problem. like devastated. Yeah. <laughs> 
So at that point, I was like, all right, bring me the epidural. Yeah, <laughs> I'm only like, at four centimeters. Let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I cannot go much longer. So anyways, they um, were bringing the epidural. Meanwhile, they decided to break my water because she could feel the water. Mm. Um, and there was meconium in it. And mm. so that sort of like gave them a red flag. And um, when they went to bring the epidural and I got into position, the same thing happened. Baby's heart rate went like this time way, way down, like 20. Like something's being way compressed. Yes. And um, yeah. And so at that point, it wasn't really a question. They just rushed me out for a C-section like immediately. And by the time we got to the OR, the baby had stabilized, mm -hmm. but they were like, you're both exhausted. We need to get this baby out. Like you've mm -hmm. been doing this for way too long. And, you know, I was post dates and I had the meconium and I think it was just like a lot of concern. So then they went to give me a spinal tap so that I could be awake and it didn't take, they did it twice and it didn't take. Did the baby's heart rate react then? Not that I know of. Mm. So it's they had to put working. me under. It's not yeah, working. Yeah. yeah. It's not working. So they put me under and mm. I birthed my baby asleep, which was a whole thing, mm -hmm. but she was, you know, on my chest, not too much after she was born. And I was able to nurse immediately. They were very, like, they tried to be really accommodating for me and they were very mother baby friendly, you know? Did you, so, uh, did they bring you back pretty quickly? Like, yeah, like you were awake right after. Yes, pretty much. Oh, okay. They were, I think they were still working on me Okay. while I was awake. So, yeah. and then my husband was able to be there. He uh, got to see her, you know, first while they were sort of examining her. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it all was fine we were both healthy and it was okay but it was a little bit of a traumatic experience yeah <laughs> um and you know not what we were planning for at all you know went from a natural birth to like total c-section but it yeah moving on to like being pregnant again I was like all right what do I want to do now because it feels like the natural birth didn't go well but this time around I don't know I felt like I was more prepared I knew a lot more. There were a lot of choices I made with the first birth that mm -hmm. I knew I wouldn't make with the second. And so, and I had said, I'm not going past 42 weeks. I'm <laughs> obviously I didn't, but that was my mindset. I was like, I am going to do what I can to have the baby ahead of time. So anyways, right. see my second baby was due July 10th, 2022. So just under two years later. And I did decide to go with the birth center again, the same birth center. We had a good prenatal experience there and I love the midwives there. And again, I felt like I was more knowledgeable this time around mm -hmm. and I knew I'm getting a doula. I did not have that the first time. And so I knew I wanted to set myself up for success as much as I could. And so again, I was doing everything I knew to do to shorten the pregnancy. <laughs> Yeah. I went to the chiropractor like early and I went consistently every week. I drank lots of the Nora tea. I started pumping at 36 weeks every day. I uh, was taking gentle birth, walked consistently. Jeez, I was, so I was doing everything and the pregnancy was fairly normal. I did have, this baby was breech at 34 weeks and I was like, mm -hmm. so discouraged because I was like, I'm a, I'm a V back. A lot of people aren't going to want to do that. Even mm -hmm. my midwives were a little bit hesitant to do that because I'd never had a vaginal birth and you know they they usually are good with breech births but my situation they were like we're not sure we want to take that risk yeah so I knew my chances of having a VBAC with a breech baby was very low so I was doing inversions I did acupuncture 
I put frozen peas on my belly. I like, did everything <laughs> that people told me to do. And he, mm-hmm. uh, he did flip by 36 weeks, which we were thankful for. So anyways, I'm doing all these things to make sure that this pregnancy is short, shorter, still 40 weeks. I upped the walking, started swimming, but like no signs of labor at all. 41 weeks, same thing, not dilated at all, getting discouraged. (laughs) And of course, during this time, we're doing a lot of non-stress tests and trying to make sure baby is still doing well. And then around 42 weeks Again, I said, I'm not going past 42 weeks, but of course, <laughs> when it gets to that point, I'm like, just a couple more days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do everything I can to have the birth that I want. So at 42 weeks, I was like one centimeter and I was, we were all like so thankful. So the midwife did a sweep and I did castor oil again, mm-hmm. <laughs> tried to hit it with everything in one day. I think I ended up doing the castor oil like three times time <laughs> <laughs> because it, it like wasn't doing anything. And so eventually it worked and I got some contractions like midnight to 3 a.m. And then they just sort of fizzled out. out. Yeah. Then just kept having really mild contractions. And so at 42 weeks and three days, I decided there's not much more I can do at this point. Like I need to go be induced because we, I mean, really we're trying everything and it just, Mm -hmm. they were not getting strong enough or consistent enough to mm-hmm. make any progress. So, uh, when to be post date, right, right. And yeah. it's like, you know, my body is going this long. So do I trust that? Or do I, you know, I know that the risk goes up significantly after 42 weeks mm-hmm. from what I've heard read. So it's sort of weighing that balance of, right. I know baby's okay, but how long am I willing to wait this out and take risk? So I decided to go be induced and so they put me in triage at like, you know, 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And of course, they're all like, the nurse was basically like, you're like this huge fish that doctors never see because you're a transfer, you're a VBAC, you're post dates, <laughs> you know, just all the different things. Just all the checkmarks against you here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were able to get us into a room later that morning and it had a tub. The, the nurse we had was really sweet. She knew we were from a birth center. And so she was like, I have this room with a tub. Someone's in it. But if you can wait a couple hours, you can get into that room. So we got into the room with the tub. They started me with a Foley balloon. And that just, that did not take very long at all. And then they started Pitocin, a very, very low uh, mm-hmm. level Pitocin, like a two, I think. That's a um, really great, nice way to induce a, a fully with a low dose of two or four mm-hmm. milliliters of pet for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to be in a tub for a little while, stayed in there for a couple hours. And then I think around sometime that afternoon, around three o'clock, I, I did ask for an epidural because again, I've been up for days at this point and need to just so rest. So tired. Yeah. And um, the anesthesi- anesthesiologist was in a surgery. So it was a few hours. I think they didn't come until like 7.30 that evening. And this time, you know, everything went fine. (laughs) I was able to get the epidural and get some rest. And it was just like, wow, I did not anticipate feeling this good right now. (laughs) It was such a relief. Um, And I was able to get some rest. My doula came around then and was very like helpful and sweet. And then around 11.30 that night, I started throwing up Mm. and they thought maybe it was like the epidural they said sometimes can make people nauseous. So they were checking all that. And my doula was like, 
she might be in transition. Why don't we check? And I was fully dilated, which was so exciting. So I was getting ready to, to push and, um, was finally, I was happy to finally like be doing something and feeling productive. So I'm pushing for a while after about an hour or so the doctor that was with me switched out with another doctor. I think she had Mm. somewhere, another surgery to be in or something. And the doc that came in was the doctor that did my first C-section. Oh, and he almost immediately, he hadn't been in the room very long, but he said that if I couldn't push the baby out, they would have to use forceps or do a C-section. And that was just like, had he been pushing with you at all at this point? Or did he just bluntly say these things before even assessing? Yeah. Yeah. He'd been in there maybe like five minutes. And I was so discouraged and my doula just kind of looked at me and winked like, don't worry about no, that. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore what that just, what he just said. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it took me, we started pushing around 1230 and then he was born, I think like 230 or so. So maybe two, yeah, two, two and a half hours pushing. So it wasn't long at all. wasn't too bad. So that was really sweet. I finally got to have a vaginal birth and my husband was there. He got to announce the gender and cut the cord Mm. and, you know, got him on my chest immediately. And it was really sweet. I did have a three, a tear, which was three degree. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough recovery with that, (laughs) but otherwise it was a really, really good experience. And, you know, again, not in the birth center, not the natural birth that I had envisioned, but it was, it went so much better than I could have anticipated. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to talk on that a little bit before we get into due dates of just like, like you said, you're, you know, it wasn't the natural birth I anticipated, but in the mm-hmm. end, you know, you had, you had a, an epidural that truly was such an amazing tool in your labor and they, they birth, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the first one you couldn't get it, but like you were able to rest and be more present. And like you said, you're mm-hmm. like, I didn't anticipate feeling this good. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, the world puts such shame, I feel like, on people for 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 both sides, actually. Yes. For both yes. sides <laughs> of like, hey, if you don't go unmedicated, you're crazy and you're gonna have a C section. Mm-hmm. Or hey, if mm-hmm. you if you get an epidural if you get an epidural, if you if you go unmedicated, sorry, if you go unmedicated, you're crazy. And then if you get an mm-hmm. epidural, you're crazy and gonna have a C section. Right. 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 And it's just not that way. I keep like, right. we can't we need to take out these absolute statements mm-hmm. of if you do this, you won't have this because it's not mm-hmm. true. I, I mean, I really we get I, I can't tell you enough. Like we get so many emails that are like, I really want to be back so bad, but I just don't feel I can go unmedicated. It's not my personality, it's not what I desire. They're like, mm-hmm. it just sucks that I can't have a V back because I don't want to go unmedicated. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. If right. you want to be back, you don't have to go unmedicated, right? Right. It's the same thing with even induction. Yeah, like, do we have, are there some things around induction that may increase some risks or some chances? Mm-hmm. Yes. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's going to happen though, right? And right. like this mm-hmm. provider that started you out with this induction is a really great way to induce. So yeah, I mean, and you had you had progressed a little bit before with your first, so that's also a really great factor. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you don't have to go unmedicated to have a vaginal birth in general. I mean, look at all right. the people that mm-hmm. that truly don't go unmedicated. 
And does it make you less of a person if you don't have an epidural? Mm-hmm. You know, and something I love about your stories, both of them are you, you kind of like, you had the discussion with the midwives, but you had this thing of, okay, we're going to go to the hospital now. I'm mm-hmm. making this choice for me, for mm-hmm. my baby. And this is what mm-hmm. I feel good about. And mm-hmm. I think that's important to note too. You know, sometimes right. plans yeah. change and plans can change. Yes. yes. So I, I held it a lot more loosely the second time around than I did the first. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's just because, you know, I, in the world, we get a lot of pressure and and shame for decisions mm-hmm. that we make, you know? And, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. my kids are in a lot of sports and I get shame for my kids being in sports and that has nothing mm-hmm. to do with anybody else's life, right? But, yeah. you know, yeah, it's just you guys birth, listeners, you guys birth the way you desire. If that's mm-hmm. a repeat cesarean, that's a repeat cesarean. If that's an induction, mm-hmm. that's an induction. If it's an unmedicated, medicated, whatever, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. right. like birth the way you want. But on mm-hmm. the way to birthing the way you want, make informed jo- informed choices by getting mm-hmm. the education and the knowledge behind everything that you are making, every choice that you are mm-hmm. making. Okay, so due dates. You yeah. know, here you have two babies that have gone over forty two weeks. Neither of them had many issues or anything. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we had some mech, um, which is common, especially in post-date babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to kind of talk about what post-date means. So, or, or what all the the terms mean. So mm-hmm. an early term baby is in between 37 and 38 plus six, 38 weeks, six days. So that's an early term baby. A full term baby is 39 to 4 plus 40 plus 6. A late term baby is 41 to 41.6. And then post term baby is 42 weeks or later. So technically, you had two post date babies. Mm-hmm. I had an early, a full, and a late. Early, full, mm-hmm. all, I had three different ones, right? So, uh, one of the resources that we love so much is Rebecca Decker at Evidence-Based Birth. She, if you guys have not checked out that website, they like, it's so amazing. They turn studies into English (laughs) for the Mm -hmm. people who can't understand a lot of these studies because it's really hard. They turn them into English. And so one of the things that she talks about on this specific blog, which we'll have in the show notes, it's titled Evidence on Due Dates. And one of the things she talks about, and I shame me if I'm wrong, I'm pronouncing this, but it's called the Nagel's rule. And it's something that I had never really heard about until I would say probably like a year ago. But back in the 40s, a professor in the Netherlands created this rule on how to calculate estimated due dates. And so she says, based on the records of 100 pregnant women, they have figured an estimated due date about adding seven days to their last period. And then that is nine months, right? So it's kind of crazy though, because if you think about this world and our periods as women, we, no one's the same. Nobody. I can guarantee you that I am not the same as my neighbor or my friend or my even my sister, right? And so we have different cycles. And This was based off of a regular 28-day cycle ovulating at the 14th day. And that Mm -hmm. just doesn't happen all the time. And so I don't love the method because it can be different. And 
on the podcast, on the Birthful podcast, we talk about how people sometimes carry longer. And that doesn't mean that they're super, super, super overdue. Um, it just means they've carried longer. And in like in her blog, she talks about a person that had like a 44-day cycle. And so she may had been viewed as like 42 weeks or 41 weeks, two days, but really she was like 40 weeks. So we were adding a week and two days on to this due date. And we're telling people, you know, that we've got chance, higher chance of stillbirth and things like that. But really because of her long cycle, she is not, she's, she's 40 weeks, right? And so that's, it's just so hard. It's so hard. I mean, there's research in this blog. It's amazing, but even then it's just, it's hard. So, um, Mm -hmm. but we do want to talk about, you know, the risks of going past your due date. So what risks, Sydney, did people tell you about going past your due dates for you and baby? Were there any thing, was there anything said that was very specific? Like if you go one more day, this is going to happen or more likely Mm -hmm. to happen. The biggest thing that stands out in my mind is the meconium and the baby, like the risk of the baby aspirating. Um, And then also just the general like risk of stillborn goes up after 42 weeks are the two obvious things that I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that is correct. The risk of um, moderate or thick meconium increases every week, starting at 38 weeks. And it's just, it's interesting. We don't know exactly why a baby you know, has a bowel movement in utero all the time. Sometimes it's due dates, maybe sometimes it's stress or really fast transition or whatever. They just do. We don't, we don't know exactly why all the time, but it does seem to peak between that 38 to 42 weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. So it says 3% at 37 weeks, 5% at 38 weeks, 8% at 39 weeks, 13 at 40, 17 at 41 and 18% chances at 42 weeks. So 18% chance that a baby may have a bowel movement within that 42 week, you know, mm-hmm. 18% might sound really, really high, but to some people they're like, oh, okay, well, if it happens, you know, and then we, like you were saying, like we worry about the risk of aspiration. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. If right. it does, sometimes, you know, we have other issues, but the the another risk for infants is, the increased chances of a NICU administration, administration, how was the word I'm looking for? Administered into the NICU? (laughs) Like, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Administrative, (laughs) admitted. Yes. Thank you for having my brain, uh, protecting my brain. So yeah, admitted, they were lowest at 39 weeks at 3.9% and rose up to 7.2 at 42 weeks. And so again, some people may look at that and say like, that's enough for me to have a baby at 39 weeks. And then some people be like, oh, 7.2%, like I'll take the chances. It's totally personal preference. And then one of the other risks, and I, when I say risks, I'm really putting quotations around this because it's, it's one of those eye rollers for me is the big baby. Like a lot of providers mm -hmm. will say like, oh, but your baby's going to get way big, or you might not be able to have that vaginal birth, especially with VBACs. It's like, oh, but the last time your baby was larger, you know, and say the baby was eight pounds. It's like, oh, but this, Mm -hmm. this could be really big this time if you keep Mm -hmm. going. Right. And so, um, so it shows that like low, low to 
less or greater to nine pounds, 15 ounces, mm -hmm. um, rows starting at 38 weeks, and then zero, which is 0.5%, and then doubled um, up at 42 weeks, which is 6%. But mm -hmm. I mean, we recorded a story last week and um, with Morgan, who is like 12, 10 pounds, 12 ounces or something, right? Like mm -hmm. big babies still come out. Mm -hmm. And they're just fine. And so yeah. it's hard. It's hard to hear that risk of the big baby because why are we shaming these babies? It's, it's a big, that's fine if they're big. It's fine yeah. if they're chunky. We love when they're chunky, yeah. right? And then, yeah, some of the risks of having a lower APGOR score or stillbirth. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the stillbirth, I think, is probably one of the most intense risks that we look at. Right. Yeah. And it's the scariest risk yeah. mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so they're looking, it says absolute risk is an actual risk of something happening to you. For example, if the absolute risk of having a stillbirth at 41 weeks was 1.7 out of 1,000, then that means that 1.7 mothers of 1,000 or 17 out of 10,000 will experience stillbirth. And so you hear that and it's very, it's very scary. Um, and then it talks relative risk is the risk of something happening to you in comparison to somebody else. If someone said that the risk of a stillbirth at 42 weeks compared to 41 weeks was 94% higher, then that mm -hmm. sounds like a lot. Mm -hmm. But some people may consider that that actual or absolute risk is still quite low at 1.7 versus mm -hmm. 3.2. And so, you know, and we've had a post like this that it actually stirred up a lot of angst because of we talked about some absolute risks and some act or some relative risks and actual risks, but really, I mean, it can be very scary to hear 94% chance higher, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Then 3.2% chance. So mm -hmm. ultimately, yes, there are risks to, to stillbirth. The longer we go, there are risks mm -hmm. to placental issues or mm -hmm. infections in moms, mm -hmm. you know, because that there's another, there's a whole nother category of risk for moms that we, a lot of the times we don't talk about too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it goes up. It's just a matter of what is best for you. So in the beginning of the podcast, you said like, I haven't really met a lot of people that have carried as long as me, right? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I was telling you, you know, I'm eight and a half years of being a doula. I have one client Specifically, I've had some 42 weekers uh, like one day, two days, but one client specifically 43 weeks, one day. And mm -hmm. at 42 weeks, her provider was telling, well, actually it started at 40 weeks. Her provider was like, you have to induce, you have to induce, you have to induce. And they're like, no, I don't want to. And then at 41 weeks, same thing, you have to induce. And at 42 weeks, she was like, I'm over it. I don't want to be here anymore. And she mm -hmm. called me and she was like, I'm changing providers. Does that change any? Because she was far away. So her home was further away from me than the location, her hospital location. And mm -hmm. so she's like, I'm changing providers. Does that change anything to do with you supporting me? Like, because wow. I need to know if I need to find a provider closer to you or if you'll come to me. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go wherever you go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she called me, I think it was like the next day. But at this point, she's like 42 weeks one day right and she's like mm -hmm. i found a doctor she's out here by me she's gonna oh support me and i'm like okay great so she wow. goes at 42 weeks and the doctor's like okay we have to do two non-stress tests this week we're just gonna check you know and so they did and they're like everything's great no problem baby might be on the larger side but other than that mm -hmm. everything's looking great 
next one, she's like, yep, things are still looking good. She's now like 42 weeks, five days. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, wow, like this is the first, and this is in the very beginning of my doula career. So I'm like, happening like what is happening what was, <laughs> I don't know how that like I was kind of feeling right. nervous myself because I still didn't know a ton and anyway at 43 weeks or the day before th- 43 weeks she went into her provider and they were like you're really not showing a ton of progress actually like you're barely a face oh my gosh. maybe a centimeter <laughs> and they were like for me. <laughs> it was really yes well and sh- for her she was like I'm never gonna have a baby like she said, right. she's, yeah. anxious. she's like, I think I'm going to be pregnant forever. I'm like, no, you're not going to be pregnant yes. forever. Yeah. <laughs> but you can understand like mm-hmm. where she's yeah. coming. Like, I just don't believe people go into labor on their own. I'm just, I don't get that concept. Yeah. Because of your situation, which I yeah. can fully mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. So she, they were like, how about you come in tomorrow? Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. Let's induce this labor. Let's have this baby. Mm-hmm. So she called me and I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, it's, do it if you want to, you know, and we went over everything. Mm And so she's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. And she actually started contracting through the night and we were like, oh, she's going into labor. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do think she was actually going into labor uh, because Mm -hmm. when, and she had only progressed another half a centimeter, but she was, she was contracting and I wouldn't say they were anything too crazy strong or anything, but they were there. Um, But Mm -hmm. then they did induce the labor like with that, with those contractions Mm -hmm. And at 43 weeks, one day, she had a really chunky little boy <laughs> and everything was really great. Like he, mm-hmm. he really, nothing, nothing was wrong. Yeah. He did have meconium. He pooped. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that he pooped on the way out. Like, mm-hmm. so he wasn't like super green or anything, but um, yeah, it's just very interesting, right? It's very, mm-hmm. very interesting. Due dates are interesting and it might be a hang up for you. Yeah. For a long time. That's a, my midwife's said I was you know I'm, I'm so curious about this and they they said we think you're probably just one of those women that like if we let you go you would go naturally to 43 or 44 weeks like some women just carry longer some women carry shorter you know it, everyone is different but yep yep yeah. and that that's what I, I want it I keep thinking Gail Gail is what's coming to my mind for the pot with the podcast um with <clears throat> Birthful she talks about that she's like some people just go to 43 44 weeks mm-hmm. and it's crazy, but it's not, again, back to what was in that study on Rebecca Decker's blog is it's not that she was actually 42, 43, 44 right. weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where the hang up in my mind comes. It's like, this is where she is based off of her, her last period, based off this mm-hmm. calculation that Google does, or, you know, the, the little wheel like my doctor mm-hmm. um, back in the day had like a little wheel yeah like, to mm-hmm. tell me when I was due you know that 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 doesn't mean that that's when my babies do and that doesn't mean I had that 28 day cycle and I ovulated at day 14 right. and, mm-hmm. you know like really that's that's my hang up in my head is like what what more can we do with these mm-hmm. due dates how can we calculate these due dates better because in my opinion, induction is also really, really high, right? So mm-hmm. we've got a high cesarean rate, a high induction rate. A lot of people mm-hmm. are going in, which induction is just fine mm-hmm. if that's what you're wanting, right? But a lot of people are getting that pressure to induce because they're, and mm-hmm. they're getting these scary things being said. And so wh- let's figure out what these due dates really, you know, and guess, mm-hmm. guesstimation, you know, dates. Mm-hmm. 
what do they really mean? And and I honestly, there is not enough evidence that without like induction and stuff like mm-hmm. that to mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that to really 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 know what the average length of pregnancy is. Yeah, that's probably a good point because people just don't go that long. Yeah, they're they just into- they just don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. that they, you know, like in your mind your mind you're like I do not believe. I wholeheartedly do not believe <laughs> that anyone can go into spot like will <laughs> always just go into labor. Like I don't right. get it because you've had two experiences and you know, you are very you know, it makes sense. Like you're mm-hmm. you're willing to feel that way or you're welcome to feel that way, but at the same time it's like, but what 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 is missing here? And like mm-hmm. your midwife said, you're probably one of those that we would let you go when you would go. But mm-hmm. does that really mean you're 44 weeks or does that mean you're actually 41? Or maybe does are right. you actually 42 at that point? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I've <laughs> I we do plan to have more at some point, but I'm like, I'm going to track consistently like you know, like track 10? my cycles, track, track the actual conception dates if I can and mm-hmm. make sure I know like exactly when, and probably even do an early ultrasound, which I haven't done before, but mm-hmm. just because it's always the question people want to ask is, well, are you sure about your due date? <clears throat> yeah. Are you sure about your cycle? And I can't yeah. be a hundred percent sure about my cycle, but I can be a hundred percent sure about when my last period was. And, you know, yeah. I, you know, I know, I know what that is. So yeah. Yeah. Feel that question a lot. (laughs) You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that just popped into my head. So remember I told you earlier, I've had an early term, a full term and a a late term. Mm -hmm. So with my third baby, we were Mm -hmm. crazy. (laughs) We were like trying for a boy, like specifically. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my Mm -hmm. friend was like, Hey, read this book. Go, you know. And uh-huh. I was like, okay, great. And so I'm like, I'm gonna follow this to a T. Cause we had the two girls, and my husband's like, this is the last, like, you you have one more try to get your V back. Like he was like really, really like stern mm-hmm. on this one more baby. And I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. And so I was like kind of waiting for him before he was like ready. I started temping and mm-hmm. and I mean going maybe more extreme and like mm-hmm. it consumed me a little bit. But mm-hmm. I really got familiar with my body, right? Because I really wanted to mm-hmm. try for this boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. um, anyway, so I had temped and done everything. We conceived. I knew, like, I knew almost the hour. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. Like, I knew exactly mm-hmm. when I got pregnant. And I was 41 weeks, five days. But mm-hmm. with my first, they said that my due date originally was like October 26th. And then she was measuring small. So then they bumped it up to November, November 6th, 10 days mm-hmm. um, earlier. And she ended up coming November 4th. But then I wondered like, so was I early? Was I late? What, what was I? Cause I wasn't right. really tracking. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. with my, with my second, she came at 38 weeks, five days. And so it makes mm-hmm. me wonder there too, because I wasn't really paying attention, but I felt very pregnant, but then she was mm-hmm. small. So they're like, no, it was totally fine. Like she's just small, but I'm like, she was measuring small from the very beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Always makes me wonder, like maybe I was closer to the 40 week mark or 41. Mm-hmm. Maybe, at, you know, maybe I was right. Maybe 41. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, oh, it's fascinating. 
It is. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard because we don't know. And we are only trying to do what's best. And we're only mm-hmm. trying to do what we're given the information mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, always we have to follow our gut and decide like right. what's best for us. But we'll make sure to include those studies. So if you guys are listening and you find this interesting too, go down to the show notes, find it, go read them, listen to the podcast. It's a great, it's a really, really great um, episode. So anyway, Sydney, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this conversation Mm -hmm. to, to the table. Cause it's not one that we talk a lot about, right? Mm -hmm. but I'm sure you've got some frustration and, and like you said, you're like, ah, that's kind of triggering. Like, (laughs) to hear that like 40 you know yeah I was like it's not fair that I have to do all this work before I actually can go into labor you know so anyways I will we'll see what I do for the next one I've said like I'm not gonna do anything I'm just gonna get induced at 42 weeks but I'm sure the next one comes along and be like no I really want to let's do the castor (laughs) try and do it naturally yeah well and there's there are some other ways to to naturally induce like uh, Mm -hmm. like breast stimulation or Mm -hmm. sex um and starting sex kind of Mm -hmm. earlier on or even Christmas oil things like that things that we can start doing I mean that like 38 weeks right leading up yeah um but even Mm -hmm. then it's not a guarantee and, right. and sometimes it can be frustrating when you're like, I'm doing all of the things. Yeah. I take castor oil and puked it back yeah. up three times. <laughs> and then I'm still not having a baby, you know? Yes. So Yes. Well, yeah. at this point, it'll probably just be a matter of, I'm just going to trust my body and know, like my body knows, my baby knows when they're ready to come out, you know, like yeah. I just need to follow the intuition and, you know, again, weigh that risk like we talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. We'll see. You I don't know. have to worry about it yet. So you don't, I'm not you don't, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it, but keep grabbing the information and so yeah. then you'll be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you awesome. very much. Thank you. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbacklink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.